glory to God and the house of God to say, give it all to God. God in the name good. of Jesus Amen. Christ. Amen. Very good. If you are of the notion to say, well, you know, how do you know it was God? Because the Bible said every good thing comes from God. That's how I know it. So we rejoice with you, Brother Richard. Amen. I'm reading from two translations this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with the King James, and then we'll just look at it quickly out of common English Bible translation. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse number 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Just that first line, everybody see that? Therefore judge nothing before the time. Say it with me, judge nothing before the time. Then common English, please, Sister Pleo. So don't judge anything before the right time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring things that are hidden in the dark to light, and He will make people's motivations public. Hello. Then there will be recognition for each person from God. I don't want to go this direction, but I do feel compelled to say this before we move forward, that um, I hope you came to church for the right reason today. Hope you came. Hope you came to get something from God and God's Spirit, not to show off or to be seen or to see, but for the right reason. Because He said everybody's motivation is going to be made public. That's just God's way, isn't it? Don't judge. Excuse me. Yes, patience. So don't judge anything before the right time. For those that are always prone to turn skeptical, the onset of anything, this is not the little excuse a lot of people grab, don't judge me. A lot of people use that so irreverently, meaning don't acknowledge my sin. Well, that's not what this is talking about. Okay, Judge means don't make an assessment. Don't adopt an opinion. Don't prejudge, pre-categorize until God gets through with it. You may look at something right now. Brother Wayne, I'm, I want to tell your story for a moment if I may. Two or three weeks ago, Brother Wayne came out here and we love Brother Wayne. Brother Wayne told me he, he hitchhiked all the way from Anchorage to come to church. Brother Wayne told me he left Anchorage at 3 o'clock this morning. Someone gave him a ride because he had to leave at 3 o'clock, hung around Palmer or whatever just till church time. Brother Wayne... You may stand as an indictment against lazy people one day. Amen. Who have vehicles to drive to church, but don't let me get going. All right, let me just. Brother Wayne, thank you. I mean that. I really mean that. Appreciate your effort. 
Don't judge anything before the right time until the Lord comes. You ever, you ever judge something right off the bat and found out later you judged it completely wrong? How many times, I should say, have we done that? Not have us, have we? Judged a person. I know we don't think this. This is for the other people at work, not the Christians, all right? But I know the other people at work think things like this. Oh, I'll never like that person. Oh, he, he already is rubbing me wrong. That's for the people that aren't children of God, right? Because we don't do that. Writer said, judge nothing before the time. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy today and all you've done and are doing. We give you all the glory and the honor. We bless your wonderful name. Help us, God, to draw near to your perfect will today. No more and no less. Bless your people. Encourage the hungry. Feed those that are thirsty and yearning today for a move of God in their life. Bless, encourage, renew, and strengthen our soul, our hands. In Jesus' wonderful name. I'm going to preach today from this thought. What's more important, how you start or how you finish? What's more important, how you start or how you finish? Amen. You may be seated. Don't want to, by any means, devalue a good start in life or a good start on the job or a good start in anything that you effort to do. Good beginnings are important. A lot of times people's ventures are foiled because they don't get off on the right foot. They don't get started on the right foot. I preached some time ago about the power of first impressions. Very often those are the things we carry about someone or something throughout our life. But I want to go in a, just a little different turn or a little different twist from that thought today. What's more important, how you start or how you finish? Please humor me for just a moment without... without uh, us getting derailed, but when you were younger, if you were average like the rest of us, you had thoughts. Maybe you had a career class at school, or maybe someone was a forward thinker in your, in your circle of friends. And sooner or later, as a young man, a young lady, or even as you progress in age, you start thinking about what you'd like to do in life. Uh, when you're younger, you don't have any, any foundation behind that. You just, you just have dreams. And I always, as crazy as it sounds, but, but as a young man, Brother Playa, I ate, slept, drank, walked, and talked baseball. And I know that's no surprise to you, but that's what I dreamed of being in, in some category. I thought, how could you go wrong making a living around green grass and a baseball diamond, right? coaching or working or just fetching baseballs or something. I always dreamed when I was young, that's what I'd like to do for the rest of my life. Of course, then reality sets in, right? And you realize that you are not in the upper tier of skill sets, even in your own class, much less, you know, when you get people that are isolated in that profession. But Brother Jim, as crazy as it sounds, and these are random, these are just crazy random, all right? But I was always fascinated with dump trucks, not semis. I could care less about long haul. But as I grew up, I started thinking, man, that'd be cool to drive a dump truck for a living. I don't know why, but you're just working in dirt and gravel and, you know, and they all look rugged when they get out of a dump truck, you know. 
And I, I remember, you know, middle school type time frame thinking, I, that's what I want to do. I want to be a dump truck driver. And then when I got in high school, we had a family friend named John Pfeffer. And John Pfeffer worked for Alaska Pipeline. He was a surveyor. And I remember John telling stories to my mom and dad and my brother. And I was fascinated. All the stories had to do with outdoors. He hiked across a swamp. He, he you know, careened over a mountain ridge. And I just was fascinated at the stories John would tell. And as I got older, I thought, that would be cool to be a surveyor. Thirty-five years later, in the grocery stores, nothing went the way I had planned it. Just tell me. I don't. I don't want to take all day, but tell me real quickly here. If so, what you wanted? What's something you dreamed about being, or just some crazy random thing? Archaeology. Wow, there's a thinker, man. Anybody? What would you want to be? What? What? An Olympic wrestler. I knew you were feisty. Yeah. A doctor. a doctor, yeah. A teacher's aide. I just want to be a mountain man. Mountain man. <laughs> yeah. A dolphin trainer. It's all right. That's all right, Wayne. You're too good to be true, Wayne. This has got to be. I do believe you, honestly. Thank you. Someone else had their hand up. Yeah, Kyle. Hmm? Astronaut. Astronaut, sure. Anybody else? I wanted to be a mermaid until I was like, Even this isn't going the way I wanted it to go. <laughs> joking, joking. Good. I wanted to be a book critic. A book critic? All right, thinkers. I wanted to be an author. An author. Yeah, and I've read some of your stuff. You, you're well there, yeah. Hmm? A cop, policeman, movies, oceanographer, Rambo. I'm not even gonna touch that, brother. All right, just a couple of more. Anybody? What do you want to be? A boxer. A boxer. A boxer and a wrestler. We should put you. No, we shouldn't. Yeah. A marine biologist, yeah. Help me out. What do you say? Whoa. Wow, that sounds complicated. Okay. Yeah. Bush pilot? All right. How about you guys? Pilot? Anybody else? Aerospace engineer. So it's not, or should I say, what's more important? How you start or how you finish? This is true. This is not fabricated. It's true. Harvard University, Cambridge, Massachusetts, routinely does vocational assessment analysis for its graduates. They're not the only ones. I just grabbed this story to give to you. Many of those graduates would be told, of course, you're talking Harvard here. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a famous lawyer, scientist, chemical engineer, 
real estate mogul. All of these things, they put all the data and the information between the brains at the table. And they look at grade point averages and how the student conducted himself through the years of training at the school. And they banter back and forth and they come up with, with what is normally just a general assumption. Mr. Johnson, you're going to be a lawyer. Mrs. Thompson, you're destined to be a real estate mogul. On and on, all these grandiose opinions and ideas about where a person will end up vocationally. I am not exaggerating when I tell you Mr. Jones and his 4.0 grade point average spoke to the vocational analyst, and I quote, with rich anticipation, something prestigious and prophetical expecting he was to be told. You are suited to be. You are DNA destined to become. And he's wanting to be this. He's dreaming about being that. And God is my witness. The board analyzed him in his 4.0 to be a shepherd. Wait a second. She's a lawyer. He's a brain surgeon. And he's a shepherd. Let me change gears while you hold on to the thought. What's more important, how you start or how you finish? Was David a godly man? Or was David just a headstrong, hungry leader? If you're honest, you have to admit, especially if you don't read the Old Testament much, that it depends on where you flip the Bible open and where you point to begin reading. I'm going to give you some examples here. Where you start reading might shape how you see David from the beginning. Fact of the matter is this, there's no historical record, zero. No historical tracing ability ever mentioned of David outside of the Bible. None whatsoever. But the Bible's enough for us today, isn't it? Scriptures say David, Acts 13, 22, was a man after God's own heart. I wonder how many of us, thank you, Brother Wayne, as young men, young ladies thought, I just want to do whatever God wants me to do in life. The Bible said, 2 Samuel 23, 1, he was the anointed sweet psalmist of Israel. David was the first human name mentioned in the New Testament. That's a thousand years of division between the time David was buried and the time these genealogies were recorded in Matthew chapter 1. Fourteen generations between the two separated them. He was a mixture of politics and religion, was David. He was a paragon of virtue in Israel. He was a pastor to preachers, an example to people who were example setters. But then again, if you flip that page, you might find the story in 2 Samuel 16, 8, where Shimei called David a bloody rival of Saul. 1 Samuel 18, 7, you might find it being stated that David, it was said of him that Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. You might look at 1 Chronicles 28, 3. And the Bible said, God told David, you cannot build my temple because there's way too much blood on your own sword. Was David a godly leader or was just some rebellious, headstrong politician? Depends on where you start. It depends on where you start reading in the book. So what's more important, where you start 
or where you finish. Now I want you to lock this tidbit away in your mind before I proceed. Anyone who tries to please God, anyone who tries to please God is going to be hated by the devil. It is true, whether you agree with it or not. Shakespeare said, if you have no enemies in life, it's a sign that fortune has forgotten you. Luke 22, verse 31. Jesus and Peter are conversing. Luke 22 and verse 31. He said, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. Go ahead and make up your mind to live for God. Try to be separate. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to be opposed. I don't say that to discourage you because it takes a little backbone to live for God. It may take backbone to be a, a dump truck driver or a wrestler or a boxer or operate a heavy crane. What kind of loads do you lift of that crane or did you lift down there? What kind of weight would you take off of that barge and set onto dry land? At a time? 50 to 100,000 pounds a lot of burden on that operator, I would think. A lot of responsibility. And the moment you make up your mind to make a positive difference, the devil takes note of you. You say, well, pastor, why would I try to live a holy life then if I'm going to be a target, a bullseye for the evil of, of, of Satan? Because what Satan does won't last forever, all right? And if you're ever going to make a difference, you have to start somewhere. You have to make up your mind, I'm going to start doing the right thing. I'm going to start making a difference for good and for righteous and, for not, and not for evil. 1 Peter 5.8, let me just rapidly throw these at you, 1 Peter 5.8. Because the adversary, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's his business. That's his job. And I believe you might agree today that David had one major nemesis in his life. Not Michael, not Abner, not Absalom, but Saul. One inspired by evil. One whose unrighteous deeds were fueled by the imps of hell. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that Saul was dark and brooding. He was subject to depression and melancholy with these occasional fits of rage tossed into the mix. What a man to have as your enemy. But another important key you have to hold on to in this story is that long before David became a warrior, long before David became the greatest king that ever sat on the throne of Israel, he was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. Long before he ascended to powerful political positions, long before he took one life, one human life with his sword, he was a shepherd. What matters more, how you start or how you finish? The point I'd like to make from that is that vocation may change, Brother Stacy. Your profession, it's wonderful to... Paul said, I became all things to all men. 1 Corinthians 9. I know he's not talking about vocation, but it's awesome if you can cross the line between being a tent maker and a grocery store manager or a, a business owner or whatever it is. Vocations may change, right? But your calling is written in permanent ink. Praise God. 
I said your vocation, your profession, your dream job may have to change in life. Brother Larry, you didn't always have it your way like wanting to be a mountain man. you, You worked at Fred Meyer. You had to. You had bills to pay and obligations to meet. Vocations may change. I do think you ought to pray seriously about it before you change from left to right. Pray, pray God's will to lead you and to be part of what you're planning to do. But the Bible said in Romans eleven twenty nine that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. What God has called you to be, he don't change his mind. God won't say, oh, okay, you're tired of this church. I'll move you across the way. You got the wrong, you got the wrong God you're talking to. Vocations are something that we can look at a little more loosely. But your calling, your position in the kingdom of God, you can't just flippantly be bored with and change to something else. As Pastor Churchill said in this pulpit many years ago, if God has called you to preach the gospel, don't you dare ever stoop to be the president. Calling is something personal between you and God. When Eliab asked David in 1 Samuel 17, 28, who's with the sheep? Who's tending the flock? With whom have you left those few helpless sheep in the wilderness? And I said this before, but while tending those few helpless sheep in the wilderness, David the shepherd, the young man, the dreamer, the man with all sorts of hopes and aspirations, Learned how to treat those that were dependent upon him. I'll say it again. While doing what God called him to do, David learned how to treat those that were dependent upon him. I wonder how many of us, Brother Dan, today haven't learned that lesson yet. To treat those that are depending on us. I wonder how many breadwinners in the house today have not learned that lesson to treat those with kindness as God, the the one that puts the calling on you. David learned it, Brother Paul, by working every day, the trouble the sheep get into, the, the varmints they have to chase away, the wolves they have to encounter, the struggles of hungry sheep and thirsty sheep and wounded sheep and violated sheep and depressed sheep. Someone said, and I quote, I don't know if I agree with this, but it's, it's, it's thought-provoking. Put every one of us in the corner, in the right corner, and there's a little wolf will come out of all of us. He learned how to treat people that were dependent upon him. Hmm? Hey, Dad, learned how to treat your kids yet? Right, the right way yet? Oh, we all get up that church image we have here. We all act like the perfect father and the perfect mother, don't we? Come on. <laughs> David learned it by trial and error. David learned it in doing what God had called him to do. How could you expect to be successful, you know, when you're ruling an empire if you can't take care of 10 or 12 sheep in the back fields? That's right. Learning that every soul is valuable. 
Someone said, that's the problem with churches. They count people. Well, you've got to understand something. We're not in the business of counting people, but we do understand that every person counts. And if you don't believe that every person counts, I invite you to leave, would you please? I invite you to leave. Because we don't want that spirit around here. We want everyone to know, <laughs> wherever you're from, if you want to be saved and you want to do right, you're welcome in this place, all right? You're welcome. One of my favorite verses in the story, though, is 1 Samuel 16, 18. You've got to get the background of this. This is one of Saul's servants, David's arch rival, David's most hated enemy. He has a servant who's making an assessment. He's making a judgment call. Now he's, he's on the payroll of Saul, who is trying to kill David. And this is the servant who's on Saul's payroll assessment of David. Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. He's cunning in playing, means he's a skillful musician. That's what that means. Amen. He's a mighty, valiant man. That means he's brave. Yeah. He's a man of war. He's courageous. Yeah. He's tough. And he's prudent in matters. He's wise. Yeah. And he's a comely person. That just simply means he's a nice-looking man. I'm not making that up. That's exactly what that means. Check other translations. This is a man who would have despise the moment, rue the day that he heard someone on his own team making the remark about his enemy. But he said, I have to just tell you what I, the way I see it. He's a skilled musician. He's brave. He's tough. He's wise. He's fair. But look at the last thing he said. The most important thing, Brother Paul, this servant of Saul, his rival, all the praise is heaped upon his outward and even his emotional makeup. But he said, and the Lord is with him. Hey. You know what? I wonder. I wonder about that moment in time if that servant thought, I wish I could change teams today. Huh? Because if God is with David and you're fighting him, who is that meaning with you? What's more important, how you start or how you finish? I love the fact that the Bible never seems to even attempt to conceal the errors of the people that we call heroes of faith. It is true that God is not a respecter of persons. It is true that His love is not slanted, biased, or prejudiced. Can I get an amen from somebody? Just gonna just gonna touch on something here, and, and who knows where it goes? But I'm not bashful about it. All right. But prejudice is the most ignorant form of communication human beings have ever given themselves to, to use. Bias, and I know how grandparents are. 
Grandparents look at their own children, grandkids like, you know, no one is as good as their children. Like, how many amens did I get? One? Um, where was I going with that? <laughs> and more people have been wounded, irreparably wounded by human ignorance, assessments and judgments being formed before God gives you the right to form that assessment or judgment. How in the world does the, I know how, I shouldn't put it that way, but where do we feel justified in making judgment calls over another human being because of their education, their background, the color of their skin, the amount of money in their pocket? If there's ever anything inspired by evil, it's prejudice, it's bias. It's opinions formed without fair assessment. And I want you to know something. God isn't for that. God, huh? Love your neighbors. What, is it, what does it matter what side of the tracks a human being came from? I mean, would any of us have qualified? Oh, yeah, I was in that meeting at Harvard. Anybody here graduate Harvard? Not that that makes you a better person. If you have an education, I'm, I'm proud for you. I really am happy for you. But like t Brother Tenney said, get it and then get over it. You know better than anybody else because you have degrees. And I'm, I'm glad you worked that hard. It takes diligence. It takes effort. It takes concentrated effort to do all of that work. Do you think God values the graduate with DDs and double LD and drives an LTD more than the floor mopper at McDonald's? Hmm? No, because every soul is priceless to God. Every soul is priceless to God. And so these slants, these ridiculous assessments never come from the throne of God. God isn't prejudiced, biased, or slanted. He loves this one as much as He loves that one. But, But you can't deny the fact that in the Bible, as you read it, God's trust level is not the same for everybody. It isn't. God's trust level for people isn't always on the same level. Like it was extended to Abraham or Jacob or Paul. Even to David. Because God told David... You aren't touching the tabernacle. You aren't touching the temple. Not because God was biased against the Jewish people, but because of his background. Because he knew that he would stand as that, that religious icon, if you would. Spiritual monarch. He said, you're not touching it. So that tells me God didn't have the same trust in David. David! Someone tell me who you can match tit for tat with the accomplishments of David. There are none. Not human beings, anyway. Yeah. 
But when it came to constructing this, David said, I want to do it. And God said, oh, I have other plans. I have other plans. No bias, no prejudice, but his trust level might be different. Could it be because of track records? Possibly. Where we've been, how we've failed him, I don't know. I, I'm just throwing those out for your own consumption. What matters more, how you start or how you finish? Life happens, doesn't it? If the truth could be told today, every one of us set out in life to be something. I, I, for, I went through this thing early in my adult years where I wanted to own my own grocery store. I, I had a few mentors in life that trained me, and they had these independent outlets, and they just, you know, they were in charge, man. I thought they were making money hand over fist, but a lot of them went broke, so maybe they weren't. You set out here to go there. And life happens in between the two. Unexpected occurrences come your way. Health issues happen. Don't prophesy that for me, preacher. Life happens. I don't care who you are. That's why Jesus said, they that endure till the end. You know what he's saying? Life's going to happen no matter who you are. You've got to endure some things. I want to be that. A shepherd? My grade point average is better than hers, and she, you said she's going to be a rocket scientist. You've got to understand something, though. You're becoming what God wants you to be. That's why you're drawn to godly things in the Bible and the house of God and your brothers and sisters. Not because of your good nature, but God's seed that he planted in you years ago is coming to fruition. And you find yourself hungry for the things of God more than the things of the world. What matters more? Where you start or where you finish? Appreciate dreamers. Appreciate people with a mind made up. You know, they've got their heart set and they've got their mind made up. But how big are your shoulders? Maybe life's going to interrupt your plans. Maybe your dream to become that or your desire to become that. Maybe God doesn't even want you there. Maybe he knows down. Maybe not. But maybe he'll see you backsliding in that profession. God sees everything, doesn't he? I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying God might see that. Do we really want it if God sees it's not for our welfare, our good? Hope not. So what's more important, how you start or how you finish? Hmm? A good start is very important, of course, especially living for God. A good foundation, you need that. Need a good foundation. You know why a lot of people come in, they get the Holy Ghost, they get baptized, they get you know a, a start on change in life, and then the cares of this world, Jesus said, whatever things come into life, and and they're gone. It's not because they're not good people, not because they don't love the Lord or trying to love the Lord, because somewhere the foundation's not established. <laughs> 
There you go. Good point. Foundation's not solid. You've got to keep coming, new person. You've got to keep coming to the house of God to get a foundation established. And woe be unto us if we ever get to the point where we think, I'm there, I've got it, I don't need to be there. If your handwriting's on your wall right now, bro. It's there. We always need God. No matter how long you've been preaching, leading, shepherding, we always need God. So, what's, what's more important? You know, you can get off to a bad start and God turn things around for you. You ever made a friendship or a companionship and it just got off on the wrong wrong way, wrong start, wrong wheel, whatever? And down the road, that person became a friend or at least a confidant, someone you trusted, maybe someone you grew into a deeper relationship with. It got off to a wrong start, though, didn't it? Or a bad start. Some things do. Good start is important, but in my opinion, at least from this thought today, I would present to you that it's what happens at the end. Because a lot of people come in, house of fire, woo! Greatest thing I've ever had in my life, woo! Then you know what happens? Life. Some gossiping long tongue in the church, they sit by one Sunday. Oops, life. All of a sudden, the little baby's corrupted now. It's not about right. That is exactly right. Good start's important, but sometimes good starts don't last. They don't have to fail. But what really matters is they that endure to the end. They that endure to the end. I'm not your father, but if you raise your kids in a glass house, if you do everything for them, if you never let them scuff their knee and bloody up their knuckle, if you never let them fall and have struggles in life, you're a rotten parent. And if every time they lose a little league game or every time they lose a football game, you know, you go buy them a trophy anyway. You buy them a popsicle because they were the best player on the losing team. It's everybody else's fault. You're a miserable parent. You're, you're. Be nice, Ron, be nice. Because there's a lot of life that they're going to learn when they're not under your sheltering wing. And so much the better are they if they learn it while they're young. Because they're trying to get a good start in life. Trying to get a foundation established under them. Your parents, you know, every time you, you want something, they just get their wallet out. Come on, parents. Make them work a little bit. Do them dishes. And don't get in there and jump in and do half of it for them. Make them work. My child's destined for Harvard greatness. They'll never wash a dish. Watch out. Watch out. They might be working down at Valley Hotel next Wednesday night, all right? You never know. What matters more, how you start or how you finish? Hmm? How you finish? Yeah, how you finish. 
I could tell you names. Some of them you would have heard before. People start out preaching the gospel just on fire, making a world-changing difference. Some, some little thing in life tripped them up. Not even, they're not even in the church now, much less preaching. Yes, Satan is a thief, isn't he? I, if you, I know you can't hear her in the back, but what I, what I take from what she just said is some, an example that she qu quoted or alluded to was people who are doing good things, big things, and then they fall, and people, people assess those falls. A whole lifetime of good just tossed in the garbage can. And they remember that. Oh, they'll remember that. They remember that. Absolutely. Remember that one thing he smashed? <laughs> and Paul said, judge nothing before the right time. We are not condoned by God. We are not allowed by God to put assessments out there before God's stamp of approval. I mean, I mean, who here alone wants to stand and reveal your inconsistencies, huh? No one, no one does, of course. Judged nothing before the time. What's he talking about the time, the end? That, that, the most important part of your life. Today's my dad's birthday, you know, and oh, you're so tired of hearing me talk about this, but consumes my brain. It consumes my mind. And all these memories that we shared just buku, innumerable. What matters most though is how he finished it all. How he finished it all. What, what a tragedy, what a tragedy to try to be a difference maker, try to live to please the Lord all your life and then just bail, thinking it's all a farce, thinking it's all a lie. What matters most, how you started, how you finished? Generally, as we get older and more mature and walk with the Lord, even though we may step out and fall back and do whatever, we find a new start. Because we're wiser with the Lord. Yeah. Because when, once you walk out in the world, you'll find out again and again and over and over, it doesn't work without the Lord. Amen. The happiness, the joy, the feeling of accomplishment. The gaining, yeah. Right. Without walking with the Lord. Did you hear him back there? 
that, that's so true, isn't it? There's nothing. Nothing out there satisfies. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Seems like Job. Job. Good point. Job ended the right way, didn't he? Chapter 42. The, just two scriptures. Um, Matthew 10.22 and Mark 13.13, 13, please. Great example. Job. He that endures to the end. No, no other allowance permitted there. You got to endure to the end. And then, First Peter. Amen. Bible said that the end of your faith is the salvation of your souls. The end of your faith is the salvation of your souls. What matters most? How you start? How you finish? How many times you start out like a house of fire on a job, and then you, something crosses your fancy, and you get mad at the boss, and you just blaze out, walk out in a blaze of glory. What matters there, huh? How you started, how you finish. How many times have you seen kids, I don't know if you want me to talk to this personal today or not, eh? how many times have you seen kids get a good start with, with a loving dad, a loving mom, hmm? and something goes haywire in the, in the, in the union. Little seven, eight, nine, ten year old minds are left to, to come to their own assessments when one just abandons. Hey, that happens all the time. Judge nothing before the time. Look at somebody and say, Be patient. All right, I'm done. God love you today. Anybody have a question, a thought, or a remark, comment, assessment? <laughs> The wrestler. Nice and loud, bro, so they can hear you in the back.